This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. The Big Interview with Offscript. We are joined in studio by a man that I partly think we owe our careers to, certainly the Offscript careers to, because he was one of our very first guests some four years ago, Rob. Yeah, it was, yeah, and it's actually, it's, it's so special to have him in our midst, actually, because... September the 24th, 2018, a couple of weeks after Offscript launched, we became aware of the story of Valentino Dixon. And somehow we were able to reach out and actually make contact with Valentino just a few days, I believe, after his release from the Attica Correctional Facility, where he spent 27 years wrongly incarcerated for a crime that he did not commit. Let's actually revisit, if we can, Chris, before we bring Valentino into the conversation, Let's revisit that initial chat we had with him on the phone just over four years ago. I felt like it was a dream. You know, I had been waiting so long and I didn't know when the nightmare was going to end. You know, so the moment that she said that I was free to go, you know, it was like unbelievable. You know, so many emotions went through that, you know, I almost my leg was weak. I didn't know if I was going to fall out or I didn't know what was going on. It was... I can't describe the feeling. Now, in the intervening years, uh, in the four years since that conversation, Valentino has had a shout-out, a Christmas shout-out from former President Barack Obama, who now has his artwork at home. He's met, I believe, the likes of Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods, who have become familiar with his work. He's got a book out, The Soul of an Unfreed Man, Drawing My Way to Freedom, 27 Years of False Imprisonment at the Notorious Attica Prison. He's going to appear on Steph Curry's new podcast. We're very fortunate to have him in our midst and fortunate to welcome here, him here. It's always been a dream of his to come to Dubai. So we say from off script and all of us here, Valentino, it's great to have you in studio. How are we? I am uh, out of this world right now. I'm, I'm so wonderful to be here. It is a dream come true. And- you know, a lot of people don't know the history, but when I was in Attica, I drew seven golf courses of Dubai. Because I seen Dubai in magazines. I said, this has got to be the most beautiful place in the world. And I said, I got to draw some of these golf courses. Never never believing I would be here, but it's like, I got to draw these golf courses in Dubai. You know, so I actually brought them with me today. Cannot wait to see yeah. them. Uh, Nobody's really seen them. I had them, kept them in the, like, put up in the closet because of my American golf courses, you know, is what people like to buy in America, hmm. you know, and the 12 hole of Augusta is what's made me famous. And so I said, you know, I got to get to Dubai. I got to share these golf courses with the, the people of Dubai. You know. <laughs> and Valentino, it's so special for us to have you here. As Robbie mentioned, it was a very emotional interview for us. But hearing that clip, I mean, how did that make you feel after four years reliving that specific moment? It, I don't know. It seemed like it was just yesterday. Hmm. You know, it don't seem like four years has passed. You've got an awful lot to get into. There'll be a lot of our listeners, Valentino, perhaps weren't aware of off scripts four years ago. There'll be an awful lot of people today unaware of your story, and I mm-hmm. want to unpack it in, in various ways. I guess, though, before we, we do that, how have the last four years been for you? Because being incarcerated for 27 years, I can't even begin to fathom what that was like. But how have you rebuilt your life since well, being released? Let me say, God is the best of planners. You know, so my, I have a really strong faith. Uh, I converted to Islam five years into my sentence, you know, and before I left Attica, I was the imam of Attica, you know, and I recite the Arabic, you know, I make five prayers a day. I never have missed a prayer in 15 years, 
You know, a lot of people don't know that part of the story. Wow. You know, and um, so my faith has led me everywhere. I know that my story is to change other people's lives because all of us are going to go through something in life and we don't get to decide what it is. You know, and when it comes, you just have to uh, push through it and you have to have faith and courage and determination and willpower and see yourself through anything that comes your way. And this is how I live my life and this is what I try to give to the people that I come across. Because you've been doing a lot of work, I believe, or I've read, that to, to mm-hmm. sort of give back, to work oh, with yeah. the Prison Reform Foundation, among other things, yes. to, to kind of, you know, having won your freedom, it would have been easy for you to completely step away from that world, but you've deliberately gone back into it, Valentino. Well, I started a prison reform foundation, the Art of Freedom, and I mean, just as I was coming here in the Uber, I had two prison calls come through. So I'm always on the phone with guys that's incarcerated, their families. I give legal advice. You know, I try to raise money for guys that's wrongfully convicted because, you know, without funds, you can't fight a case. That's just the reality of our, the American justice system, and I believe that's all over the world. So, you know, it's about giving back. You know, of course, I could be saying, okay, I had enough of this, but I, I don't, you know, I don't get no sleep. This is 24 hours a day for me. Either I'm drawing a golf course, I'm working, you know, within the uh, justice system to try to make it more fair, just and equal, you know, or I'm drawing and teaching people how to draw. And then I started my own clothing line. So it's just, you know, 24 seven, just moving forward. You be, and, and Steph Curry, I've got to ask about this podcast mm-hmm. as well. How yes. did that come about? Well, he reached out. Um, he wanted to do my documentary, and I kind of turned him down. I didn't like the, the details of it, but then we came together for the podcast, and actually, I just completed my documentary. I have a, the trailer I can share with you guys, too, oh, for the documentary. Yeah. Okay, we're going to do And I that. produced it myself and directed and produced it and narrated it. Okay. You know, a lot of people say he can't. There's no way that he can pull that off. Wait till you see these two minutes. <laughs> well, we're about to watch that two minutes now. For anyone that is maybe not aware of who Valentino Dixon is, just worth reminding everyone out there, Roberto who this man is. Well, in let's go back all the way to 1991, shall we, where Valentino's life took a, a very unexpected turn when he was arrested and wrongfully convicted of murder. Uh, now, he was sentenced to 39 years to life, spending nearly three decades at the Attica Correctional Facility. And it was after being encouraged by his uncle that he began to draw golfscapes while at the Attica Correctional Facility. And, and that's kind of where the story takes a very surreal turn. And ultimately, that would begin. That would be the catalyst to Valentino uh, earning exoneration and ultimately being released 27 years later in 2018. It was a story we covered four years ago on Off Script. We've now got him in studio to uh, ask a lot of questions, I'm sure, about that experience. Uh, I mean, amazing, Valentino. I mean, I really don't kind of know where to go with this. I, I kind of want to go all the way back to the start, if I can, because for the uninitiated who perhaps aren't familiar with this story, can you take us back to 1991? You ended up in a prison for a crime that you didn't commit. When I take you back there, where the heck does the mind go? I'm a 21-year-old kid, and, you know, you ever, ever heard of the Twilight Zone? Yeah. Because I felt like I was in the twilight zone. You know, the shooting that occurred that I was accused of occurred before 90-something people out at a public restaurant. And I was there, and I took off, and I ran and jumped in my car. Everybody, we was all young. Everybody just, you know, dispersed, you know. And I was pulled over and taken into custody. 
But two days later, the person responsible confessed and told the detective that he committed the crime, and eight people came forth and cleared me of the crime also. But all of them were disregarded. Authorities were too embarrassed to admit that they made a mistake. Ten months later, I went to trial. I didn't have any money for a good attorney, and I had a public defender. He didn't call any of the witnesses or introduce the confession to the jury, and they found me guilty of all charges. I mean, that is remarkable. Do you know why they zeroed in on you or what sort of evidence, quote unquote, they decided to present that they managed to find you guilty? Yeah. Well, just being there. okay, And um, they just wanted to solve the case. It was a shooting and they didn't care. I was a young black man, put it that way. (laughs) I hate to use the race thing, you know, but within, I'm going to say, 48 hours, they realized I didn't commit the crime. Uh, and then they tested me to see if I fired a weapon, and they withheld the results for 27 years. 27 years. Yes. I look at you now, Valentino, and I'm not just saying this because you're staring right back at me, but how the heck are you as well-rounded as you appear to be in front of me? What does 27 years in a prison cell, 8 by 6 9 by 7 whatever right. that room was, what the heck does that do to you mentally? Well, let me say this. You know, I didn't have a strong faith when I when I went in. Of course, I was a young kid. You know, it took me about seven years. And my uncle told me, he says, you know, if you can reclaim your talent, you can reclaim your life. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And, you know, I went to performing arts high school for artwork. So I was very good with art since I was about four years old. And I hadn't drawn or painted or anything in those seven first seven years of prison. And he sent me some colored pencils and some paper. And he says, if you can reclaim your talent, you can reclaim your life. And I'm like, I didn't understand at the time, you know. But after about six months, it started resonating in my mind, like I have to do something here. I just can't waste away in prison. I'm innocent, but that's not good enough in the American justice system. You know, it was my artwork that I had to become really good at in order to get uh, national attention, which brought attention to my wrongful conviction. If it wasn't for the artwork, I would still be sitting in prison right now. And what drew you to the golf courses? Because I okay. understand you had never yes. actually set foot on a golf yes, course I never, so I when you in, decided to start drawing them. Well, I never golfed before. <laughs> and um, Roberto, he mentioned that my uncle uh, said to draw golf courses. My uncle, he got me the first art supplies, but it was a prison warden who said, hey, you need to... Uh, Started drawing golf courses. He asked me to draw his first golf course. Okay. Then my uncle said, draw more. So they kind of was a combination of both people, you know. And they were like tag teaming. Now, this is the warden of the prison. He's the top guy, you know. And I had become known as the artist in Attica because all I did, once I started drawing after seven years, I never stopped. I drew up to 10 hours a day. And I became known as the artist in Attica. And so the warden was like, you know, hey, draw my favorite golf hole. And I'm like, I'm a black kid from the inner city, and, you know, I don't know how to golf. We don't know anything about that. You know, but anyway, he brought the 12 hole of Augusta in. I drew a form. He loved it. My uncle's like, you need to draw more golf holes, you know, and everybody's encouraging me to draw golf holes. I didn't know why, you know, but I actually enjoyed drawing the golf holes. So I started drawing them every single day, and... You know, I mean, I had about 400 pieces of artwork that I had did before that. Okay, anywhere from landscapes, animals, people. And I brought some of those pictures with me here to Dubai. And 
So I started drawing these golf holes. Then I started reading the, the, some of the issues of Golf Digest magazine, you know. And I came across a column called Golf Saved My Life by Max Adler. And each month, Max would write about someone who's going through some type of challenge in their life, and golf was the only time they felt better. It, it kind of, you know, strengthened their spirit. And I started to correlate that with what I was going through. At the time, I had 20 years in on a wrongful conviction. And, and I'm saying these golf drawings are helping to keep me going. I mean, I have friends that committed suicide. And so as far as I'm concerned, my mind was on borrowed time, fragile too. But one of the things that really kept me going was Islam, believe it or not. And I had converted to Islam, and I started praying five times a day. I studied. I learned how to recite the Arabia. And, you know, and, and I realized that I was being tested. The Allah was testing me. And so, and then I started realizing that we're all going to go through something in life. And we don't get to decide what it is. No. So this is my test. So, and I'm looking at this miracle of these drawings that I'm doing inside the golf, inside the six by prison cell. And this is a miracle to me. And the guards are like, if we didn't see this, we wouldn't believe it, you know, because the drawings look like paintings, you know, to most people. And so that was, that was the signs from, from a law to me that everything was going to work out, that this is your test. Well, you mentioned Max Adler. I want to play this because you mentioned yes. Max Adler there, Golf yes. Digest, uh, someone who golf saved my mm -hmm. life. Uh, there's mm -hmm. correspondence that then begins. And we actually spoke to Max four years ago as part of our original yeah. interview with, uh, with you, Valentino. And this is him explaining receiving a letter from you. Right go to the office one random day and, and there's a little white envelope postmarked from Attica Correctional Facility. I have no idea what it is or who it's from and I open it and there's a little drawing that's beautiful. It's amazingly detailed for like a three inch by three inch drawing and uh, that got my attention and then along with it was a handwritten letter, you know, him telling me about himself, his love of golf art. And then additionally, uh, his situation of being wrongly imprisoned. When he published that article in Golf Digest, you suddenly um, found some kind of platform on a national level in the US. I mean, Golf Digest had a lot of subscri subscribers and, and it, it kind of brought attention, which I guess for you, having probably reconciled at that point, as you said, 20 years into that sentence, mm -hmm. that you would, you would probably have to serve the full extent of that sentence. Did it stir a, a kind of dangerous emotion, that kind of dangerous hope? Uh, mm -hmm. It's what they say in Shawshank, isn't it, that yes. hope is dangerous? Yeah. Well, in Shawshank, um, he said he had two choices, the main character, Andy. He says I had a, he had choices to get busy living or get busy dying. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for us in Attica... Once the golf digest wrote about this, they had never been inside a prison. You know, then you have the media, national media coming inside Attica. Then the golf channel came, Apple News, you know, uh, Forbes, name it. They were trying to cover this story. And so we were all witnessing a miracle, put it that way, because I was giving the 2,000 men inside of Attica hope. You know, I was giving these guys hope that anything is possible because of the golf course drawings and the media that was coming inside the prison. So we all knew it was just a matter of time before what happened to me would um, get corrected.
the justice will come. Can you paint me a picture, or paint us all a picture, Valentino, and don't hold anything back? How brutal was Attica as a, as a prison? Oh. Well, Attica's one of the worst prisons in America, okay? It, is, it, it had the worst riots where 43 people died, okay? And the abuse is documented that it is, it is atrocious, it is, it is a human rights violation is going on inside that prison. You know, ask me how I survived, only Allah knows. I knew I was protected because to survive 27 years there and not come out emotionally and mentally damaged, you know, but to, to create these beautiful golf scenes inside that prison cell, today I, it's like a, even a miracle for me. And how did your mentality change and your mindset change about the experience over the course of 27 years because that's Mm -hmm. a long time Mm -hmm. you know I would imagine that there's an initial period of disbelief maybe of Mm -hmm. resentment because it wasn't fair what happened to you but then how does your sort of mental journey continue over that that period of time the best way I can explain it is this is to look at the whole world look at all of the the pain and the um the injustice that go on in the world I mean, imagine being born a slave and dying a slave. Imagine being, you know, in the Holocaust or being a captive, a prisoner of war. Imagine being a 10-year-old kid that is dying of cancer is not going to live to see their 11th birthday. So when I take all of that in, I say I'm a blessed man. I'm healthy. And I never had an operation. I'm 53 years old. You know, so you have to be grateful for the things that you have. And because of this, this is what moves my spirit. This is what keeps me going. You know, this is what makes me grateful because, you know, it's easy to complain and whine and cry and, and, and ball up into a corner, and, you know, but I wanted to leave a legacy. I wanted to say, hey, I didn't just go to prison. I, I, I survived prison and I walked out of prison to help others, to lift other people's spirit and to create this beautiful artwork that can hang on people's walls forever. I tell you what, one thing I will say, you are not 53. You Thank look you. a million pesetas. <laughs> yeah. I just thinking that. I mean, I'm 36. Well, I'm not kidding yet. We're going to post up a picture. Valentino doesn't look a day over 28. It's a bit nauseating, is what it is. Listen, he's going to stay with us for a while longer because it's one thing. You send your paintings into yeah. Golf Digest magazine. How on earth does a golf magazine help, though, exonerate you from a crime that you did not commit? We'll have more from the man who is sitting in front of us at this very moment. It is Valentino Dixon. He's live on Offscript. Stay with us. The Offscript Podcast. Valentino, I'm going to humble you a little here. I'm going to embarrass you a little bit. Let's get to some messages because this one right out the top shelf. Rest easy, Nelson Mandela. Valentino is here to carry the torch for grace, faith and human spirit. What a man. Just want to say an honour to listen to your story. True inspiration and welcome to Dubai, says another. Another one, you guys, this interview is just brilliant. Feeling all the feels. We thank you for those messages. And I guess you do too, Valentino. A lot of love out there because your story is so inspirational. It's inspirational because of the man that I look at right now. The fact you are so humble, the fact that you are so well-rounded, I find incredible. You've talked about finding faith, Allah, Islam, as being a big help to that. I want to get back to your story. You talk about drawing, painting or drawing golf courses. Golf Digest step in. That's the first step, though, to getting you exonerated. Where do we go to next on this story? Well, for me, it was the start of uh, the journey towards getting the freedom because I understand that it doesn't just happen all of a sudden. It takes things like the Golf Digest to open up doors where other media outlets were coming. And, you know, 
And so I knew it was only a matter of time. Just keep pushing, keep pushing. And, you know, it's like every month somebody wanted to pick up the story, okay? And I was always willing to do an interview, you know. And so they gave me a polygraph test, which I passed, okay? Even though they knew I was innocent. They said, take a polygraph test. So I took that and passed the polygraph test. And so Georgetown University students get involved, they wanted to use my, my story as a class project. And I said, okay, cool, let's, let's do it. And so in the midst of them doing the class project, they did a documentary, like a little short 15-minute documentary, and the prosecutor uh, who tried this case agreed to participate. And they have them in an interview, and they say, hey, you know, you guys took Valentino's clothes, you tested them to see if he fired a weapon, what happened? And he admitted on camera that... The results came back negative, but they had never turned them over. Okay, so ultimately, that's what got me out of prison, not the eight witnesses in the confession. Let me ask, and I think I already know the answer yes. to this. That prosecutor, mm -hmm. did anything come of that admission? Well, he was fired, but he was hired by another agency about a year later. That's a disgrace. <laughs> This is American justice system. It's a disgrace wow. is what it is. Uh, let's get the thoughts now of Professor Mark Howard, because as you rightly point out, uh, Mark Howard, he was at Georgetown University. He was a, a colleague of another guy, Marty Tancliffe, who, again, was someone who was in the reform, right. uh, justice reform kind of uh, industry, uh, who details how his students had embraced Valentino's case. Once they started working on it and got to know Valentino and really went in depth in his case, and I'm talking... 20 to 30 hours a week. This is students who have, you know, multiple other classes who have many other things going on in their lives. They treated it like it was the most important thing in their life to try to prove a man's innocence and get him out of prison. It started in January. That's the semester started and it went until the beginning of May. And they just worked tirelessly the whole time. I and mean, we weren't forcing them in the sense of time commitment and so on. They were just so to Valentino's case that they went the extra mile and did everything possible. And they did an amazing job. They produced a video that's been widely seen and shared. But most importantly, they discovered new evidence. Students. Amazing that. I mean, just an incredible twist. And, and I've got to ask you, 27 years on, mm -hmm. what are your recollections of that day that you were exonerated? What were the main emotions that were running through you? Well, it was, I was released in Buffalo. So usually in September, it's kind of chilly in Buffalo. But this particular day, it was sunny, it was bright, it was 80 degrees, you know. And I walk out the courthouse, and there's about 12 steps, and the media's at the bottom of the steps. And all I can think is that I know I can make it down these steps, my legs is going to give out on me, you know. I, you know, I had a premonition that you're about to fall down these steps because <laughs> my legs was weak. And so I, if you look at the video and they have it on camera, I'm walking really slow. I'm taking one step at a time because I already know my legs is not any good right now. But I just wanted to reach, you know, I, didn't, I wanted to actually like spread my arms in the air. And I didn't want anybody to think I was nuts. <laughs> I want, yeah, I wanted to spread my arms in the air and tell God, you can take me now because you've, you released me from this place. I didn't want to die in prison. I had too many friends that died in Attica. You know, and I didn't want to be a statistic. I didn't want to die in prison. And once I was released, it was like, I don't need anything else in this life. But God had more plans for me after this. 
Oh, he does, and he has. And James' message, Valentino, sums up, I think, what we're all feeling in here. He says, got to be one of your very best guests in the history of Offscript. Will he visit the golf clubs here, the ones that he drew? And the answer to that question is... Absolutely yes. <laughs> how many you drew in? How I many drew in seven? Seven yes. Dubai courses. And seven these these have been courses. under wraps. These are yet to really be revealed to the world. I have had these things put up, and because the American golf courses is what you know, I'm in America. Sure. You know, so I just I don't know. I just had them put up. You know, and I just decided I got some time. Let me jump on the plane and go to Dubai. He <laughs> was like, "You crazy? Why don't you plan it a little better?" Like I was like, "No, I'm just gonna go over there." You know, and I, this was a dream of mine. You know, to come over here. I, I just, from magazine, you know, articles. I just said this is the most beautiful place in the world, besides maybe Florida or California, Hawaii. I was just like, you know, I got to get over there and I got to share these golf courses with the people of Dubai. So, no, you and I were discussing, and all four of us were discussing. After the fact, you get released from prison and the journey's yet only beginning. And I think this is so well documented that with so many cases for people who do get exonerated or who do come out of prison after serving their sentences, that it's actually adjusting into the real world. That's quite a difficult thing because for one thing, maybe people haven't had the right skill development. They're coming out with sort of maybe zero financial savings. What's the actual, you know, after the, the glory of being exonerated, sort of you feel that euphoria initially and then it sort of becomes real life. What was that transition f- like for you? Well, I, I knew what the, I knew it was not going to be easy because too many of my comrades had was released after so many years and didn't make it. You know, they returned back to Attica, a lot of these guys. And so I took the time to really get my, put my mind in a good place and not be stuck in 1991 when I was arrested. And that's the problem that with a lot of people that are incarcerated, become institutionalized. So I said, you know what, I'm going to read as much as possible. So I read at least maybe 500 books or more just on life, self-help, you know, um, financial literacy, all of the things that I think I would need in order to be successful in, in the world. It's tough out here. People are struggling, you know, and so if you know, if I can educate myself and utilize the time in prison to draw up to 10 hours and then read maybe another four hours, then I, there's no way that I cannot succeed, you know? And that's this, I, I convinced myself of this. And so walking out, the world wasn't something that was unfamiliar to me because I had observed everything. I knew what type of phone I wanted, you know? I knew I wanted a an Android instead of an iPhone because it would have been easier to, to use, to navigate. But my daughter had other plans. She said, you got to become an iPhone family, Dad. And so she made me get this iPhone 8 at the time. You know, I wanted to throw it down the street after a couple of days. It's like, there's no way. But I learned how to use it. And just like anything else, you know, everything is password and you know, setting up a system in order for, you know, you to be able to navigate through the apps and everything else. So I just say, hey, I got to spend maybe three, four hours a day learning how to use all of this technology because I, I realized a lot of my family members and friends weren't that good with the technology. So I said, you know what? I can become better than them because I'm willing. I got the discipline. And, and, and prison is all about the discipline, you know. And so I just take everything and try. I just, I, I mean, my spirit is like, for example, 
I, I wanted to learn how to use the Uber app. I'm in a hotel. I've only been out maybe two months, and I'm like, I'm tired of the taxi. I'm going to get an Uber. But I don't have the app on my phone. So I stopped a guy in the, in, the, in, in, in the hotel. I said, hey, you think you can help me put this Uber app on my phone? And I got my credit card, and I got my phone, and he's like, are you effing seriously? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, guy. I started laughing. You know, I keep my smile on my face. Just, you know, I know the guy don't really mean no harm. Yeah, I said, yeah, man, I'm serious. He says, what's going on? I'm being pranked here. You know, I said, no, 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 no. I said, listen, I just did 27 years in prison for a crime and commit. You just need to Google my name. And he Googled me and he's like, oh, wow. Hey, I'll help you out any way I can. So he showed me how to use the Uber app. And then he looked at me and he teared up. He says, can I give you a hug? I said, yeah. And he says, you changed my life. He said, how are you smiling? And you went through everything you went through. You know, and I just said, because I didn't allow it to break my spirit. And that's it. He didn't alone. I guess with so many young people suffering mm-hmm. from mental health, that's become a, mm-hmm. a, a kind of big talking point, I think, yeah. culturally as well. There's been a lot of media coverage mm-hmm. on it, uh, both good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you've obviously, you've been kind of a conduit to that mm-hmm. and, and you've got an incredibly strong message. Yes. How many people have you connected with, reached out to, who have kind of drawn inspiration from your story and, and okay. who've also had a profound impact on well, you as well? Well, it started inside the prison. Because mental health is, is a big problem inside the correctional facilities in, in America uh, because they closed down a lot of the, um, the mental health facilities and they just pushed everybody inside the prison. You know? So, I mean, every day I'm motivating 10, 20 people to not give up and they're trying to help them get a focus. It's not, a, it's not an easy thing because a lot of people need medication and then if they don't get the right medication, it kind of slows them down and it puts them to a whole other place where they can't even come back to normalcy. You know, so and I'm not an expert on this. The only thing I can do is, is, you know, if somebody needs an inspirational word or something that I know can help uplift them, it's my job as a human being to try to give them the best advice possible, something that can take that person out of that darkness that they're in. Valentino, what's next for you? Ah, I look at you now, and mm-hmm. again, I'm just amazed. I, I truly am. You've talked a lot about your faith, and we've had actually a real good message in, in actual fact, from Wazim, and you might actually be able to shed light on this. Okay. It says, interesting that today I came across an article about increasing numbers of inmates in the US mm-hmm. who are turning to Islam. Maybe your guest can share some insight into why that is. Why are more and more people turning to Islam? Is it okay. because of what's rooted, you know, in terms of the faith and, and what it brings you and, and that belief that you're going to be okay? Well, I was born a Christian, okay? And what attracted me to Islam is the history, you know, and just the concept and the belief in one God, you know, to believe that there's one God that doesn't want, you know, associate no partners with him. But ultimately, whether you're a Muslim, Christian, Baptist, Buddhist, it doesn't matter if you're not a good person. You have to have a good heart. You have to treat people right. You know, I can't just have a title and say, oh, I'm Muslim and I pray five times a day. But, you know, I don't open the door for a woman or a lady or help assist somebody when I see that they need assistance, you know, or I'm impatient with people. or If I'm not good to my neighbor, you know, these type of things. If I see somebody in need and I've just turned my nose up and, you know, so Islam is to make me a better person, you know, and that's the only serve, purpose that it serves is just to make me a good person and that hopefully that Allah or God or our Lord will have mercy on me and bless me with the Jannah, with the paradise. 
You know, that's 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 what it serves for me. Can I ask you, you a know? very quick question, a personal yes. question as well? Now that I'm a father, mm-hmm. you mentioned your daughter, yes. and I'm conscious we haven't really touched on, yes. on your daughter. How is it? How is it being a dad? <laughs> All right, my daughter Valentina was six months old when I was arrested, uh, and what makes her such a an awesome kid is that even though I wasn't there. You know, I constantly wrote her letters, and I was able to talk to her on the phone, and I see her whenever, you know, a family member could bring her because me and her mom wasn't together. But I'm so proud of her because she became a school teacher. She graduated, and she loves kids, and she never got into trouble, and she's just the most awesome kid in the world, and I'm just so proud of her. That's lovely. Another common question that's coming in, and I do want to get to this because quite a few Mm -hmm. people have texted this in, to find out, have you had any compensation from the government, from the state, for the hardship that you went through so unfairly? Absolutely not. Not as of yet. The the government in America has been delaying my compensation. They do it with all of them. They try to drag it out as long as possible. So I've been in litigation for four years, haven't received anything, you know, and I haven't made that, a, you know, very important to me. I'm just living my life and I want to leave a legacy and, I, you know, and I want to make it on my own. So conversation is not something I look forward to. Listen, Valentino, we're out of time. Mm-hmm. I could keep you for three hours, okay. conscious that you have other things that you've got to be doing. It's a remarkable Let me just story. say this. There's no other place where I would rather be. So you guys got to go. That's on you. But I can okay. stay here all night. Well, fine. I'm going to play this song. So we're going to negotiate that. But I'm going to uh, thank you for now. Okay. It, it is a real honor and a privilege mm-hmm. for you. us to hear your story. You are an inspiration. You know, we have a lot of people that sit in that seat in the world of sport and mm-hmm. they're inspirations to many. Right. For you to be sat there with a mentality and a, a kind of fortitude that you have, I find it incredibly humbling. I've got to say that I knew I'd get quite emotional over this, but you are a credit, sir, to yourself. You're a credit to your daughter. You're a credit to your family. You're a credit to society. And we thank you for your time this evening. Thanks for having me. It's an honor and privilege. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 